Recent rapid advancements in technology have not gone unnoticed by the powers in Washington. For instance, President Trump has issued an executive order regarding artificial intelligence, or AI. The executive order clearly recognized the potentially significant implications of AI for the U.S. economy and national security, and clearly states that the U.S. must be an AI leader. So what are the implications of the AI executive order? We have a Jones Day panel here to talk about it. I'm Dave Dalton. You're listening to Jones Day Talks. Samir Jain has more than 20 years' experience at high levels of government and in private practice working on legal and policy issues involving cybersecurity, privacy, national security, communications, and internet law. Prior to joining Jones Day in 2017, Samir was Senior Director for Cybersecurity Policy for the National Security Council at the White House. Emily Tate is a registered patent attorney whose practice focuses on intellectual property and technology litigation, dispute resolution, and related counseling. Her matters have encompassed a diverse array of technologies, including vehicle diagnostic and calibration software, financial technologies, and consumer products. And Chase Kanicki assists clients navigate complex issues associated with international trade and national security matters. Specifically, his practice focuses on CFIUS, economic sanctions, export control, customs, and trade remedy matters. Emily, Samir, Chase, thanks for being here today. Thanks, Dave. Let's start with Emily. Emily, just to make sure everyone listening shares kind of a common starting point, let's define artificial intelligence, at least for purposes of today's discussion. Sure. So artificial intelligence is essentially the ability of a computing device to perform the functions of human intelligence. And if you think about it, human intelligence generally involves the ability to gather data collected by our senses and analyze the data based on past experiences arrive at conclusions about the data that has been collected, and then to make decisions upon it. And then, of course, learn from that experience. So, in essence, AI attempts to mimic human intelligence, though in some ways AI can do better than humans, and in other ways, humans do better. Future is now, it sounds like. How is AI different than what I've heard called machine learning, or are they the same? So, we can think of machine learning as sort of a subset of AI. So if we go back to our definition of AI, we understand that it's attempting to mimic human intelligence. And a key part of human intelligence is the ability to learn from past experience based on data collected by the senses. Mm-hmm. In essence, we as humans try to do better and make better choices, et cetera, based on what we've learned. Obviously, sometimes we don't make better choices, but that's, that's, for sure. that's, <laughs> that's in essence one of the key components of human intelligence. So Machine learning is, in essence, the, quote, artificial version of this. In essence, it's the machine attempting to learn from data that it has collected. And this essentially allows a computing device to obtain and apply knowledge to make a decision or take an action or make a prediction without being explicitly programmed to do so. And machines are quite good at recognizing patterns within huge amounts of input data and, in fact, are are better than humans at that. But... It's important to bear in mind that machine learning, just as with human beings, can result in biased outcomes. For example, if the underlying data that has been used to train the computing device is reflective of existing human biases. Okay. Let's talk about what's going on out there from a legal standpoint with AI. Talk about how AI has recently played a role in each of your practices and in your client work. Samir, what kind of issues are your clients encountering right now pertaining to AI? Sure, David. You know, AI technologies really raise a spectrum of different legal issues. My practice focuses in particular on cybersecurity and privacy. 
And within those areas, one of the key sets of issues revolves around data. Data, in some ways, is the lifeblood of AI technologies. And Emily just mentioned uh, machine learning. And you know, the way that a machine learns in many cases is that you need large data sets on which the machine can then, in essence, practice. So for example, if you want to teach a machine to recognize images, the way to do that in machine learning context is give the machine a lot of examples of the relevant types of images on which the machine can practice. And with these large data sets come a lot of privacy and security issues, oh, which, you know, the executive order that we're going to be talking about recognizes, sure. you know, to the extent that the data is personally identifiable, you know, it reveals the identity of somebody or it can be connected to somebody. You know, you have to look at the questions about, you know, do you have appropriate consent to collect and use the data or to transfer the data across borders? And how do you protect the data from cyber attack to avoid data breaches, improper disclosures? Data sets, in particularly in AI, also raise a host of issues around the integrity of the data. Is there implicit biases that are hidden in the data that are going to get transferred right. to the, you know, what the machine learns and things like that? Sure. Well, it's, it's fascinating. And we do a lot of Jones Day Talks podcasts involving some sort of technology. But there's this pattern. Whenever technology advances, and this is an obvious case, it always is way outrunning our regulations, our laws, our ethics, everything. I wouldn't put it in the category of unintended consequences, but there are things you couldn't have anticipated when this stuff was being developed several years ago. In any context, but let alone from the law, that's for certain. Emily, same question. You're in the intellectual property practice. How is this affecting what your clients are concerned about? Obviously, you have a situation where the law tends to be very slow-moving and slow to evolve on the one hand. And on the other hand, you have intellectual property and technology, which is constantly evolving and moving very quickly. So, I mean, AI is a critical and evolving issue in the IP and tech sector, and it really touches on every industry and really every practice area in terms of the law, but every industry in terms of technology development. And so you've got things like autonomous vehicles and other connected and mobility solutions, which is, of course, a tremendous area of growth. Pharmaceutical development, uh, robotics, healthcare, the financial services sector, national security issues, real estate, fashion. I mean, it goes on and on. And so there's really no area that's not impacted by AI. And so this is a constant discussion in the IP and technology area. I think a principal concern is, of course, AI development and use. Mm -hmm. So how does one protect AI innovations? And, you know, are patents used, copyrights, trade secret protection? What about data? And, um, you know, as Samir discussed, data obviously plays an enormous role here. And so the question of how to protect data is really significant. And obviously for his practice area, you've got issues of cybersecurity and, and privacy. And on the IP side, there's issues of IP rights and data and how is that protected? There's also a lot of questions about the ethical use of AI. Mm -hmm. How is bias eliminated or substantially reduced in AI systems that are being developed or used by a particular entity? Mm -hmm. And then I think just this kind of goes back to the first point of the technology outpacing the law. But as artificial intelligence gets smarter, there are many open questions about authorship, inventorship, and ownership, because what if the AI system is smart enough to author a new work or to invent something new? Who becomes the author or the inventor, and how are those innovations protected? So lots of questions right now. All right, to talk more about that. So an AI-enabled computer or something develops something new. There might be a question in terms of who the actual owner is. Is the person who 
owns the computer? Is it the person who developed the software? Is that is that what we're getting at? No one's sure if AI created something, who owns it? Right. So, I mean, again, you know, each specific scenario could involve a lot of different facts that may bear on that question of authorship and inventorship. But at a high level, the Copyright Office and the Patent Office require a human author and inventor for copyrighted works and patented works. And so if you have a situation where an AI system independently authors or invents something, then the question of authorship and inventorship becomes rather significant. And so there's a lot of discussions right now about what does this mean? And as the technology develops to do things independently, what will it mean for companies in terms of ownership of the underlying intellectual property? And how much of a nexus will there need to be with a human being who has invented or authored the particular work in question? Is there much case law in this area yet? No, there is not. I mean, of course, it's, it's a new and evolving area. So the case law is not developed substantially to provide guidance. And so it's going to involve analysis of previous case law and perhaps analogies that can be drawn as the particular artificial intelligence systems are developed. And lawyers are going to have to be clever about understanding not only the case law, but different regulations to make those kind of arguments. Okay. Let's talk about the initiative that Samir mentioned a minute ago. And Emily, let's stay with you on this. On February 11th, President Trump signed the Executive Order on Maintaining American Leadership in Artificial Intelligence or the American AI Initiative. Emily, what is the American AI Initiative? The American AI Initiative was launched in February through an executive order issued by President Trump. And essentially it lays out five areas of emphasis related to artificial intelligence. One relates to investing in artificial intelligence R&D. Two is unleashing AI resources, and that would include, for example, federal data. Three would be guidance on AI regulations and setting AI governance standards. Four is building the AI workforce and essentially training the American workforce for jobs of the future. And the fifth area of emphasis is international engagement and protecting our AI advantage from competitors worldwide. Let's talk about the timing. Why did the Trump administration issue this now, Emily? So I don't think there's any special magic in the timing other than this discussion of artificial intelligence has really reached a fever pitch. And so the Trump administration, as well as previous administrations, have talked about artificial intelligence. And the executive order is part of that and is the most recent announcement from the White House on this issue. Mm -hmm. So I think a daily news search will reveal headlines every single day related to artificial intelligence. And I believe that the timing of this was a recognition that the federal government needs to get behind this, perhaps invest some money and get on board with developing standards and really be a part of the dialogue as artificial intelligence becomes such an important part of our economy and national security interests. Sure. It's, it's one of five or six, you know, hot tech related issues. You know, there's blockchain and self-driving cars and artificial intelligence and robotics. So certainly there's momentum there. So the timing, intentional or not, it certainly was time, I think, to move stuff like this forward. Chase Kinnicky, talk about international security concerns. How did those concerns play a role in, in the initiative, do you think? Sure, happy to do that. So I think the most important place that national security concerns came into play here with respect to protecting the U.S. AI advantage. So we see, uh, in connection with a statute that was passed in August of last year, 
there is a somewhat, I guess, parallel effort by the U.S. government led by the Commerce Department to try to wrap their arms around you know, AI technologies and what types of AI technologies do we consider to be sensitive to U.S. national security and that we want to have the advantage in. And so I think it's certainly there ma making sure that we maintain our advantage in a new and cutting edge area of technology that I think the U.S. government is you know, similar to what Samir and Emily were saying at the outset of the podcast, sort of catching up to recent developments in this area. Sure. In the U.S., in your opinion, does have an edge right now, at least in, in the development of AI? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think the U.S. government knows that, and I think they would like to maintain that advantage. Um, and I think in order to do so, not only investing in these various facets of R&D and pulling together resources, but also placing controls on exports of that technology and foreign investments into companies that are developing this technology mm -hmm. to prevent those folks from having access to the technology. Interesting. You know, that's another hot topic lately. And Chase, you and I have talked a lot about foreign direct investment. And I know this has got to be an area where if a foreign investor would come in or, or vice versa, a U.S. investor may be looking to an AI company in the U.K. or something. This is certainly something that's catching everybody's attention. Okay. Emily just laid out the five cornerstones of the initiative, investing in R&D, unleashing AI resources, guidance for AI regulations, etc. Samir, this is, uh, this is a lot of stuff. Who or what is charged with turning these goals into an eventual reality? Well, I mean, I think it really is, in many respects, a whole-of-government effort. I mean, the, the executive order sort of points to a, a couple of agencies in particular and gives them specific roles. So one example is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, which is located in the Department of Commerce. And, you know, it has a lot of experience in developing technology-related standards. So, for example, developed a very influential cybersecurity framework that has been used by a lot of companies, not only in the government, but I mean, private companies as well. And so in this case, the EO charges NIST with developing standards for federal engagement for deploying artificial intelligence, including, for example, how to make AI trustworthy. You know, how do you make sure that if an AI system is used to decide whether someone gets a mortgage or makes that kind of a decision, uh, that it's done in a way that people trust the outcome and that can the outcome can be explained. And so those kinds of standards is part of what NIST is going to be developing, you know, with input from other parts of the government and the private sector as well. Another example is the Office of Management and Budget, or OMB, mm -hmm. which is, among other things, going to help figure out how do we get enough money from the government to invest in R&D related to AI, but also to help coordinate access to requests for federal data and models. Emily noted that one of the key goals of this initiative is to make federal data sets more available in a usable form for private researchers and private companies. And OMB is going to be one of the key agencies in helping to coordinate making that available and making it available in usable form. Lots of players. How long does it take to pull something like this together? I mean, would we see real progress on these initiatives in you know, six months, a year? Or is this a real, real long-term project? The executive order sets fairly aggressive deadlines. It, um, you know, it calls for a number of these things to be done, you know, within the space of 90 days or 180 days and the like. Although I think realistically, 
those will be the first steps and there will be some products produced in, in those time periods in accordance with the EO. But we're really at the very beginning stages of a lot of these dialogues. And this is going to be an ongoing project for a number of years ahead. Sure, sure. Emily, talk about the reactions you're hearing from stakeholders regarding the initiative. What are they saying, good and bad? Yeah, I think the reaction really is a range uh, from excitement to skepticism. And to some extent, one's reaction to the initiative is informed by, I think, you know, one's political stance with respect to the administration, but also one's general view of AI. Um, mm-hmm. Because AI is an emerging technology, there is a fair amount of skepticism and even suspicion when it comes to some of these technologies. Just the sense that robots could take over human jobs or concerns that the Fed is always watching. You know, people have that sense when they're on their computer that they're suddenly being advertised products that they Googled on a different computer at some other time. So there's sort of this suspicion and skepticism by some. And, you know, from others, there's, there's tremendous excitement. I think that on balance, there seems to be a consensus that the goals laid out in the initiative are admirable, good goals. But the question of how to achieve those goals will be the real challenge. And it's sort of classically the devil's in the details. And so how to make those goals a reality and whether there'll be sufficient funding and consensus on how to achieve those goals, I think will be the real questions going forward. Sure, sure. Well, let's pick up on those points with Chase. Chase, again, these goals sound great, mostly. And I think there's consensus there. But based on your experience and observations, and you've been in Washington a long time, What are the biggest challenges ahead in terms of achieving these things? I think the biggest challenge from my perspective is trying to identify which AI technologies out there. Number one, does the U.S. government feel that the U.S. has an advantage in? And two, what do we do and how do we protect those technologies? So, you know, I think we've heard Emily and Samir talk about how broad artificial intelligence technologies are and the various industries in which they're employed. And I think there are some cases where artificial intelligence is not particularly sensitive from a national security perspective. In other cases, maybe so. And it may not be technology specific. It may be industry specific. And I think that's the biggest challenge that the U.S. government is facing right now is trying to wrap their arms around, well, okay, which of the AI technologies out there do we really think are critical for the U.S. to maintain an advantage? Following up on that, do you see any particular short or long-term implications of what the initiative is trying to do? Yeah, I think in the short term, the U.S. government is working to identify those types of technologies that it wants to place higher fences around from an export control perspective. And so I think in the short term, I don't think it's going to happen in the next couple months, but perhaps by the end of the year or early into 2020, we may see a list of those technologies. And I think in the long term, the companies that are developing those technologies may experience difficulties if they want to, for example, partner with foreign companies to continue to develop that technology. There may be export control restrictions around mm-hmm. any types of those partnerships. And to the extent that those companies want to raise capital from outside the United States, they may hit some roadblocks there from a CFIUS perspective. Interesting. Yeah, you see, it all kind of comes back around to that, doesn't it, sometimes? Emily, you got into this a little bit earlier, but let's pick up on on some of those points. How do you see this initiative impacting intellectual property as a sector? 
The initiative is yet another signal of what has been apparent in the IP space for years, which is that emerging technologies across diverse industries are going to be increasingly reliant on artificial intelligence. I think the initiative alone doesn't have much of an impact, but what could have a very meaningful impact is how the objectives are of the initiative are implemented. Mm-hmm. For example, will there be increased transparency with data between the government and industry? Because we know that for some of these AI technologies to really work, there's going to have to be increased collaboration between the private and public sector. The issue of technical standards is something that I think stakeholders in the IP space are going to want to play close attention to. Because if these standards are articulated, it will be interesting to see if they provide significant guidance for industry participants addressing concerns, for example, about cyber attacks and privacy considerations and ethical issues. So I think that stakeholders in the IP space are going to want to pay close attention to see what happens. And in terms of the initiative, it really has just been one more step in sort of advancing the dialogue in this space. Sure. Good summary. Samir, what about the effects on players in the cybersecurity and data protection sectors? Yeah, so one thing I'd add is Chase mentioned some of the national security and security issues. And I think that AI is going to have some real potential effects there in the cybersecurity arena. So what's interesting about AI and cybersecurity, one issue that's interesting is, is that it's going to affect and increase the capabilities of both the attackers and the defenders. Mm. So, you know, people who want to engage in cyber attacks can use artificial intelligence to automate some of their scanning activities and other forms of attacks. But defenders also are going to be able to use AI to respond much more quickly to detect threats, use machine learning to adapt to the tactics, techniques, and procedures of attackers, and the like. And so there's this really cybersecurity in some respects is going to become an AI versus AI kind of a battle. And it's not yet clear who it's going to help more in the long run. But it's definitely going to transform the cybersecurity space. Absolutely. Jeez, I hadn't even thought of that. It it will cut both ways, won't it? Emily, what are some of the deadlines or events that are coming off the initiative? I mean, people who are stakeholders and who are watching this, what do they need to be aware of in terms of what's coming up over the next few months, say? The initiative lays out a number of deadlines, Dave. I think the one that is worth mentioning here is that within 90 days of the issuance of the order, which would be mid-May, There will be a notice published at the Federal Register that invites the public to identify additional requests for access to federal data or quality improvements for federal data and models that would improve upon artificial intelligence R&D and testing. So this gives the public, and that can include, you know, obviously private sector participants, academics, and really anyone to potentially have a voice in this. And so I think that's a rather significant deadline that stakeholders should be aware of because they may want to participate directly in this dialogue or at a minimum pay close attention to what others submit on this issue. I was going to ask Samir if there are opportunities to help shape the dialogue around the initiative. And it sounds like they're, they are and they're, they're very well laid out. Is that correct, Samir? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the initiative itself talks about I mentioned the NIST standards development process earlier, and I I think we can expect a request for information or RFI from NIST relatively soon and potentially public workshops down the line. The OMB is directed to provide a notice to solicit input with respect to the access to federal data and models. 
And really, more generally, as I think we've said all along, we're really at the very beginning of a broad policy dialogue that's going to take place before Congress, before regulatory agencies and the like. And there are, I think, going to be a host of opportunities to participate and help shape that dialogue. As there should be. All right, let's wrap this up with some predictions. What happens in the AI space in response to the initiative? Chase, you go first. So I think in particular from an export control perspective, the U.S. government did previously issue a general list of the types of AI technologies that it's thinking about controlling from an export control perspective. And I think as we move forward, again, perhaps maybe not over the course of the next couple of months, but more longer term, I think companies should be paying close attention to the next step in that process, which is when the U.S. Commerce Department will issue a list of the specific types of AI technologies that they are intending to subject to these more stringent export controls. And I think that's the point where if you're a company that, and you are developing that type of technology, it may be difficult to persuade the U.S. government why that particular technology shouldn't be considered sensitive from a national security perspective. But given the implications that I talked about earlier, export control, foreign investment, uh, those companies might want to make that effort in any case to explain to the U.S. government if it's the case that this isn't the type of technology that we should be placing higher fences around. And maybe, maybe the argument is that this technology is already widely available around the world mm. and that they should be focusing on other technologies. So I, I think that's where I see things going from an export control perspective. So it could pay to be proactive maybe for, for certain companies, perhaps. I think so. Yeah, okay, good, good. Samir, what do you see coming in this AI space in response to the initiative over the next several months or year? Well, one thing that I hope happens is, you know, I mentioned earlier that data in many respects is uh, a key input into the development of AI technologies. And the federal government really has access to a lot of large data sets that the private sector doesn't. And although, you know, we're gonna have to work through some difficult privacy issues as the executive order recognizes, I do expect and hope that, you know, over time, we're going to see some of those data sets become more widely available to researchers, both academic and in the private sector. And I think that will help accelerate the development of AI in many respects. Real good. Okay, Emily, wrap us up. What do you think? What's coming for AI after the initiative? Kind of piggybacking on what Samir just mentioned in terms of data, I think in the IP space, there's so many questions about data in terms of whether and to what extent it's protected as a form of intellectual property and whether it encompasses, for example, a company's trade secrets and things of that nature. So I think that, you know, the initiative signals increased collaboration and transparency between the government and private actors. And this will raise interesting questions about intellectual property in terms of maintaining you know, basically one's rights into IP, whether those rights even exist, et cetera. I also think with respect to the emphasis on devising technical standards for AI, that that will be very significant and closely monitored by stakeholders. Again, there's been so many questions related to the ethical issues related to AI development and use. So those standards will be very significant on that issue. And I guess relatedly, the issue of bias that has been covered in the headlines recently, but when AI systems lead to biased outcomes, you know, obviously entities are very, very concerned about that. So I think that the issue of technical standards will be important, and I'm going to be closely watching to see what happens with that. 
Absolutely. You know, this is a fascinating area. I mean, all the all the tech areas we touch on, I, I think, are intriguing. But artificial intelligence, everything's happening so fast and it's so deep and involved. This is just going to be a, a great, great area to follow and watch in the months ahead, I think. Hey, and one last note, the U.S. Department of Commerce's National Institute of Standards and Technology, that's NIST, is seeking information about technical standards and related tools for artificial intelligence. Comments are due by 5 p.m. Eastern Time on May 31st, 2019, and may be submitted by email to ai underscore standards at nist.gov. Go to nist.gov for more information. Chase, Samir, Emily, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. Let's do this again soon. Sounds good. You can find complete bios for Samir, Emily, and Chase at jonesday.com. And you can subscribe. That's right. Subscribe to Jones Day Talks. You'll never miss another podcast. You can arrange that at Apple Podcasts, Android, Google Play, and Stitcher. As always, thanks for listening to Jones Day Talks. I'm Dave Dalton. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit jonesday.com.